That menace, that's a great sight right there. Hold them up. That is so great. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. You may be seated. You're stuck with me tonight. <clears throat> Our guest speaker, Jensen Franklin, was leaving Gainesville to come down here tonight. He was leaving the church to go to the airport. He stepped down several steps and missed one and broke his foot. This morning, when I woke up, this is no joke. I'm not going to say it was the Lord, but I am going to say the thought crossed my mind when I woke up this morning, you better prepare today because you're going to have to preach tonight. So when the call came today, I thought, wow. <clears throat> so to be honest with you, my daughter-in-law has been in the hospital. She had a hysterectomy, and now she's developed some blood clots, and my wife has been gone from 5 o'clock in the morning till late every night for over a week. I've been busy, extremely busy. I was in Des Moines Monday and Tuesday of this week. And so whenever the call came, even though I heard what I heard this morning, I don't know if it was the Lord or not, but I heard you better prepare, I just walked by faith that Jensen would be here. Well, he didn't come, and so I wasn't really prepared, so I'm going to preach to you tonight something I'm comfortable preaching. Is that okay? <clears throat> I want you to turn with me tonight for the next little while. I'm not going to be too long. <laughs> to the book of First Peter. There's someone here tonight, it has been a real struggle for you to stay in this service. Because this service flies in the face of everything you were raised against. You were raised against emotion in church. You were raised against this kind of outward display of vocal worship. Several times during the service, you wanted to excuse yourself and just leave, but you didn't have the courage to do that. So you have stayed. I believe that you have stayed for a reason. I believe the Lord wants you to hear this message. And I believe God's going to touch your heart through this message. Those of you that are listening by television, those of you that are listening by VCR tape, cassette tape, internet, I want to take this opportunity to tell you that this message that I'm going to bring to you is probably one of the top three messages that the Lord has ever spoken to my heart that changed my life. This is one of the top three. When the Lord uh, spoke to me back in the uh, 70s, a message about promise principle problem, promise principle problem provision, that message was probably the most influential message up until that time in my life. 
it changed my life. There's a couple of other ones that's been very powerful in my life, but tonight, the message that I'm going to share with you is probably the most enjoyable subject that I ever have experienced and that I enjoy doing. I want you to give me your best ear for the next little while because I want to share something that I believe can change your life. It can change your church. It can change your home. It can change your whole mental processes. It can change your relationships. It can change your prayer life. It can change every aspect of your personality if you'll let it but you've got to hear. Everybody has ears, but not everybody has ears to hear. And so tonight, I want you to put on your ears to hear because what I'm going to share over the next 45 minutes or so, I think can be something that can really change your life. <clears throat> before, before revival came to this church, I was encouraged, I'll say, I was encouraged to take the church and move it out of this terrible location. Um, I had preachers counsel me to move it. I had um, even some people in the congregation say we needed to move. Because Brownsville is probably in one of the worst, this church is probably in one of the worst locations of the whole county. And this church uh, is in an area of Pensacola that has not had a new building built in it in over 25 years. It just went on the skids. Brownsville used to be a peaceful community, hardworking people. And then it began to get into some squalor. Uh, the community began to go down. Drugs began to take over. Prostitution. Whenever you talk about prostitution in Pensacola, it's always synonymous with Brownsville area. And before revival broke out, I would leave to go to lunch several times from the office across the street in the daytime. And on the way to lunch, uh, there would be prostitutes actually turning tricks on, in our parking lot here on these grounds. And I would have to go and chase the prostitutes and her johns off of this parking lot. And um, believe me, it crossed my mind several times to move this place and to change locations. But in the ultimate end, I didn't do it. And this building, when we built this building, the school was called Brownsville Elementary School. This building is new. The building right behind here is the old Brownsville Elementary School with a cafeteria, all of it. When we bought this piece of property where the school is on, along with it came the playground where our Family Life Center is now. It used to be monkey bars and seesaws and swings out there. Well, that's where our Family Life Center is now. So when we bought this piece of property elementary school, we got the piece of property over there where the Family Life Center now is. And um, so whenever we got this piece of property, it had been prophesied a long time ago 
back in the uh, probably 40s when the church was actually meeting in the cafeteria of the Brownsville Elementary School, a prophetic word came that one day the church would own this property. Whenever I came to Brownsville, I came in 82. In 1983, this old dilapidated Brownsville Elementary School went up for bids with the education department here in Escambia County. And so they were taking bids for auction and they wanted sealed bids. And I remember I prayed and prayed and I fasted. I was in fasting in that period of time. And I fasted and asked God what he would have me to bid on this piece of property with the elementary school. And they had just rewired the elementary school for $167,000. Now the building was dilapidated. Pigeons were nesting up in the rafters of the school. It was a mess. But they had just rewired it for $167,000. So after prayer and seeking the Lord for quite some time, I put a bid down of $130,005 and sealed it and sent it in. And I even went down to see the school superintendent, made a visit down to his office and just told him that we'd really like to have the school and we were praying about it and we believed that the Lord wanted us to have it and we, we was hoping that we could get it. And so he said, have you turned in your bid? And I said, yes, I have. He said, well, there's other bids turned in too. And he said, whoever gets the highest bid gets the school. And so the day came when the bids were going to be opened and the auction would take place for all these properties. And that morning before lunch, the superintendent of the schools called up here and said, Reverend, a strange thing has happened today. He said, every other bidder on that Brownsville Elementary School pulled out this morning. Yours is the only bid left. And he said, you can have all that property for $130,005. And come to find out, ours was the lowest bid, $130,005. We got it below what it was wired for. And so the prophetic word that God gave about this piece of property actually came to pass. And here we are now in the sanctuary. The school has been completely remodeled, hauled out and completely remodeled, and it's made a beautiful facility. When this facility was finished, I remember uh, when it was first finished, I was walking around in here praying on a Saturday. And I was saying, Lord, I remember your glory that was in the chapel across the street. And I said, I remember how, what powerful services we had when I came here in the early 80s. And I said, Lord, I'd like to ask you, would you increase your glory at least three times what it was in the other building?" I'd like to ask you, would you please increase your glory? And while I was in prayer, I felt really strongly impressed with the Holy Spirit. He said, I want you to begin to walk around in this church. And he said, I want you to pray, to continue to pray. But he said, I want you to do something else different than you've ever done before. And that's the roots. What the Lord spoke to my heart is the roots of the message that I'm going to bring to you tonight. This is a message I'm extremely comfortable with. And I know a little bit about it. And so as I began to um, come into the church after the new church was built, we moved from the sanctuary that seated about 1,100 people into this one that seats about 2,100, 2,500 people 
jam-packed in here. And so when we first moved in here, the building just filled up immediately, but the giving did not. The offerings, the tithes and offerings did not come up in sync with the extra crowds. The giving stayed low. So we had a lot of people, and a lot of them wasn't giving. And um, I felt the pressure and the burden of that financial load on my shoulders, being the pastor. And there was even some nights I spent some sleepless nights and some sweat because our payments back in those days, the interest rates were higher. Back in those days, just on this building alone, just this sanctuary was $41,500 a month. That's before any salaries. That's before utilities, anything. That was the note that had to be met, $41,500 a month. And so while I was in here in the sanctuary praying, the Lord said, I want you to change some things. And he said, I'll show you what to do. And he began to speak to my heart. Now, if someone were to say to me, John Patrick, what was the prerequisite for revival at Brownsville Assembly? I would say to them unequivocally, no questions, no qualms about it. I would say to them, it was prayer. Hands down, it was prayer. If someone were to say to me, okay, I accept that. But Brother Kilpatrick, what was the second prerequisite for revival at Brownsville? I would have to say in my own mind, I believe it would be this. I believe it would be an understanding that the Lord gave back in those days of the mystery and the power of a blessing. And the Lord began to speak to my heart and he said, if you want something changed, stop cursing it and start blessing it. How many of you know sometime when we want something changed, we call it prayer, but all we're doing is belly aching. How many of you have ever belly ached before God and called it prayer and left out with a wet face and said, oh, I delivered my soul? No, you didn't. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened. I'll tell you something that really funny that happened in here one night. It was on a Saturday night. I'll never forget it. As long as I live, I'll never forget this night. Have you ever been humiliated by a parent? You ever been out in public? I remember one time I wanted some fingernail clippers when I was a kid, and I had on short pants. I was a little bit of kid, and I was with my mother. We was riding the city bus. We went into H.L. Green's department store, and I wanted, there was a little container up there, a see-through container that had fingernail clippers with chain, a little chain around it. You know, it was shiny, and I wanted it. And I wanted to pick up everything, you know. And Mama used to tell me, don't touch things when you go in a store. Don't things. It's not yours. Don't touch it. And so I saw those fingernail clippers and I reached up there and took one out. And Mama reached in her purse and took out a keen switch. And she just worked on my legs for a minute. And I screamed out in pain and humiliation and I immediately put those things back. And to this day, I'm afraid of fingernail clippers. <laughs> to this day, I, you know, somebody hand me some fingernail clippers, I want to draw back, you know, to this day. But, you know, <laughs> now what was I telling that story? Let me see. I forgot why I was telling the story now, but anyway. Um, huh? Yeah, humiliated. So, hey, friend, I'm getting older. <laughs> but anyway, humiliation is a terrible thing, and I don't like to be humiliated. I was in the church praying one Saturday night, 
and we had just built the church. And when we built the church for dedication Sunday, I had a, a trumpet player here that played our dedicatory service. I paid him $75 to come from Mobile to play his trumpet for our dedication service, and it was awesome. We had a powerful day. The place was packed, and I've always wanted brass in the church that I pastor. I've always wanted a great, powerful Pentecostal choir, and I wanted brass. And so for our dedication, I could just hear brass, and so I called this guy, and I said, would you come? And he said, yeah, I'll come, but it's going to cost $75. I said, well, come on, and I'll pay you. So I paid him, and after he came here, and played that day, it was powerful. And I said, oh, man, this is great. So after the dedication, we came back, several services. There was no brass. Uh, we had built an orchestra pit up here in the, in the choir area. There's an orchestra pit, a recessed area. And when I built that orchestra pit, I built it by faith that it's going to be filled with trumpet players and trombones and French horns and that kind of stuff. That's what I wanted to see. That's what I wanted to hear. We'd been here about a month or two. And there was nobody in that orchestra pit, period. And so I even called this guy back from Mobile and I said, Hey, would you consider coming over here every week and letting me give you a little bit of money to play for us? He said, No. It made me so mad, friend. I couldn't even pay somebody to come in the orchestra pit and play. And so I'd sit on the platform and it would be just like a thumb in your eye, you know, just in your face. There's an orchestra pit, nobody in there, good singing choir, but no brass. And so I came in here one Saturday night, the lights were out, and I came in here and I started praying. I walked down in the orchestra pit in the dark, and I called it prayer. And it went something like this. <laughs> and I started bellyaching to God about nobody being in the orchestra pit. No brass. I said, God, I've always had wonderful churches. We've always had great music. But, Lord, there's been no brass. And I said, Lord, what's wrong? And then I just started complaining to God. And he took his switch out. <laughs> and he stung my legs. And here's what I heard him say. And it so humiliated me when I heard the Lord say it to me in my spirit. Didn't hear it audibly, but he said it in my spirit. Here's what he said. He said, well, stop cursing it. And when I heard the Lord say that, it embarrassed me so bad, I left the church, quit praying, and went home. Now, I'm a quick study. When, God, when you embarrass me, friend, you won't have to embarrass me again. You know what I'm saying? And so I went home, and all week long, I got to thinking about that, and I got to thinking, well, what did I do so wrong? Why did the Lord say stop cursing it? And then I went back over the prayer in my mind that I called a prayer, and I realized it wasn't a prayer at all. I was actually cursing the orchestra pit. So all week long, I was preparing to come back in here on Saturday, and when I came back in on the following Saturday, I walked in, I was ready. I walked in here in the dark, just like I did the week before, stepped down the orchestra pit, and here's what I said. I said, Lord, first of all, I apologize. I said, I'm sorry for what I said last week. I said, the Bible says, enter into your courts with thanksgiving and your gates with praise. I didn't do that, Lord. And I said, I'm sorry. And then I said to the orchestra pit, an inanimate object, I said, orchestra pit, I'm sorry. And I said, I call back and I apologize for everything I said last week. And I said, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to give me another shot at it. And so I stepped down in that orchestra pit like a priest 
This time my head wasn't hanging. This time my shoulders wasn't slumping. This time there wasn't a whimper in my voice. This time I lifted my head erect. I held my hands up like a priest. And I blessed for the first time in my life. I blessed the orchestra pit. And here's a little bit of something like I said. I can't remember it all, but I said, orchestra pit. I said, I bless you. I said, you were built to be filled. You were built for sounds, resounding sounds, anointing sounds to come out of you, powerful sounds to come out of you that will stir an audience and will go along with praise and worship. And I said, I bless you to the point that people that sits in the audience that I don't even know that plays brass, you're going to become so attractive that when they come to this church, they're going to ask, can I play in that orchestra pit? And I said, even people that drive by this church that play, that may not even be saved, I said, when they drive by this church and they play brass, I said, may the Lord have to save them. But I said, I'm calling them in. I'm making you so attractive that when people drive by, that's ranked sinners, they'll want to play in you. And man, when I walked out of that orchestra pit that time, I, thought, I felt different. It's like, whoa. And I felt proud of myself. And it's like, Lord, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, listen, here's what happened. A couple of weeks went by, and I got a call from a guy. He's in the church now, right here in Brownsville. I used to pastor him in Warner Robins when I pastored in Warner Robins, Georgia pastored him for many years, about six years, and they left. He was a captain at the time, moved to Plattsburgh, New York, became a colonel in the Air Force. He called me and he said, Brother John, he said, uh, going to be coming down. He said, I've got an opportunity to try out at ROTC over at Pensacola High School. He said, there's others in the, they're vying for this position as ROTC instructor. And he said, I'm retired now. And he said, uh, I'm going to be in Pensacola. And he said, hey, listen, I said, man, listen, if you're coming to Pensacola, stay with me and Brenda. Be glad to have you. We'll put you up in our bedroom. I said, come on. And he said, you want us to? I said, sure. And so we got ready to hang up. He said, oh, by the way, he said, listen, there's one thing I forgot to tell you. He said, all those years you knew me in one of Robbins, he said, I never told you that I play a trumpet. And he said, would you mind if I bring my trumpet with me when I come? And I said, nah. And so he came and brought his trumpet. This is no joke. On Sunday night, the Spirit of the Lord came in this place. He played that trumpet. Now, he's a good trumpet player, but he's not this good. But he played that trumpet. God so kissed it because we had blessed that orchestra pit. It was a shattering and a breaking of a barrier. There was the first one. And I told him when he came, I said, you're going to get this job. He said, how do you know? I said, I got connections. And I said, you're going to get this job. And I said, I'll tell you what else you're going to do. I said, you're going to play that trumpet in this choir, in this orchestra pit. And I said, when you come, the barrier is going to be broken and others are going to begin to come in. And did you know it wasn't but just a short period of time? We had to ask people to please stay out of the orchestra pit that had instruments. We didn't have room for them. So after the Lord revealed that to me about the orchestra pit, and he stung my legs, so to speak, and he rebuked me and said, well, stop cursing it. All of a sudden, I began to understand that just as I had done that to the orchestra pit, I had done it to my family. 
And just as I had done it to my family, I had done it to maybe my congregation. And just as I'd done it to my congregation, I'd done it to myself. And when the Lord broke that barrier in my mind about that stupid orchestra pit, it's like it opened up a whole panorama of things in my life where the Lord was beginning to show me where I had cursed, not cussed, but cursed some areas in my life. I called my boys home. John Michael wasn't married. He's in Lee College. And Scott was married and had some children. I called him home. And in our house, we'd always have, when we got ready for family gatherings, I'd sit in my chair. The boys would sit on the fireplace, and Brenda would sit in my lap. And so I called my boys home, and I said, listen. I said, I'd like to ask you to forgive, Dad. I said, um, I'm sure down through the years being an imperfect parent, I have said some things that in, in the way of uh, things that I didn't want to see come to pass in your life, but maybe I said them out of fear or out of control, trying to control you. And I said, I'd like to ask you to please forgive me. And I said, Brenda, I'd like to ask you to forgive me for anything that I've ever said to you in a way of cursing you. And the boys naturally, they said, oh, Dad. I said, no, 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 listen, I'm serious. I said, please forgive me. They said, we forgive you. And then I laid my hands on my boys and I blessed them. And I blessed Brenda. And then the first thing that I ever blessed besides the orchestra pit was my home. And I got a vial of oil and I went through my house and I began to anoint the lintel over the doorpost of the rooms going into different rooms of my house when I lived over in Dunmire Woods. And so I anointed the wood part over the door and over the bedroom, I would speak blessings of rest. Over the bathroom door, I would speak blessings of health. Over the den and over the kitchen, I would speak blessings of fellowship and sounds of joy to resound from the walls of our home. And I'd begin to speak different blessings, and I've got them written down. Matter of fact, if you'd like to have a copy, I'll be glad to give you a copy if you'll contact the church. But I've got a blessing that I wrote out over my house. And... When I began to bless my house, immediately my house began to feel different. Immediately. My rest was deeper and sweeter. Our relationship, which has always been wonderful, but our relationship was just so much sweeter. And the communion in our house was sweeter. The atmosphere in our house was sweet. Now, let me tell you a cute little story. Then we would have communion in our home. Not only would I bless it, but we'd have communion in our home. Let me tell you a sweet little story. Whenever we had to move because we lost our privacy, whenever we put that house up for sale, the real estate lady said that a couple of van loads of real estate agents came out to our house to look at our house, you know, just to walk through it. And she said when these seasoned real estate agents that never really talks to one another much, you know, never really fellowship much, they just sort of walk in houses and get back in the van, drive to the next one, walk through and get in. And she said, Pastor, when they came in your house, these two van loads of, of real estate people, she said they just stopped and said all of a sudden they became chummy. And they said, hey, Mom, how you doing? How's your mama doing? Bob, tell me about your boy. Where's he at, Auburn? Tell me about him a little bit, you know. And the women began to fellowship, and she said, they congregated in your bedroom bathroom. 
And she said, here's all these seasoned real estate agents and they're in your bathroom and in your bedroom and so they're just laughing and he hawed and she said, they stayed and stayed. And I said, mm-hmm. You know what that told me? That told me that even when ranked sinners come into a place where blessings of the Lord are, it'll even change them. Are you listening? I said, are you listening? So I began to say to myself, okay, now if they came to my house and my house was blessed and we had spoken blessings over the bedrooms and the bathrooms and the den and all that in the kitchen and we had spoken the blessings and it changed them and they stayed there and wanted to fellowship, then the Lord began to speak to me and he said, I want you at Brownsville to begin to go in now to the choir. And he said, what you did in the orchestra pit, I want you to take every, every week and I want you to anoint your finger with a little bit of oil and I want you to anoint the wood on the bottom of those uh, choir seats. And the Lord said, I want you to back off, lift your hands like a priest and I want you to begin to bless the choir. Don't complain about the kind of worship you're getting. Don't complain about the kind of songs they're singing. Just bless the choir. And so I took my finger, anointed it with oil. I'd go through there and I'd anoint every choir seat, wasn't as many as there is now, but I would anoint every choir seat. And after I'd anoint them, I'd back off on this side of the glass. I'd stand there, hold my hands up like this, and I would speak a pastoral blessing over the choir. And here's some of the things I would say. I'd say, choir, I bless you in the name of Jesus. I said, I bless you for an anointing to so come upon you and growth to so come in this choir and for God to bring people in this choir from all over the place that has talent and ability but lives godly lives and holy lives. And I said, I speak in the name of Jesus that you stand there and that sounds come from this choir loft that will literally touch the ends of the earth. I didn't even know what I was saying. Then the Lord spoke to me and he said, now go and start stretching your hands over every section of pews. And every Saturday night, it was a ritual. It didn't become a religious ritual, but it became a ritual. I'd come over here and I'd stand here over this section of pews in the dark, stretch my hands out and just begin to bless these pews. I would come and bless this section of pews and then I'd go in between the gap here and I'd bless this section of pews. I'd bless that section of pews, this section of pews, that section of pews. Do the same over the whole building. I'd speak blessings over the pews that was empty. And here's what I would say. I'd say, Lord, there's empty pews in this church. But I said, I don't see them empty, but I bless them. For you, by your spirit, to bring in people that want to know you, love you, honor you, serve you, and worship you. And that's hungry for your word. And they're people of integrity and want to help us build the kingdom of God in Pensacola. And I said, the people that have the wrong spirit about them, the people that are not right with you, that are hypocritical, and they're not living the way they ought to be living, I said, I ask you to block them. They may come, but I ask you to block them from getting intricately involved in this church. 
And I said, I ask you then to remove them and replace them with people that want to know you, love you, honor you, serve you, and worship you. And people that are hungry for your word and have integrity. Are you listening to me? Now watch this. Then I went up in the balcony. And I did the same thing in the balcony. Then I took anointing oil and I would put it on my tongue and I would gag. I'd, st I'd stand here in the dark, take anointing oil, anoint my tongue, and I would bless myself as the pastor of the church. And I'd say, Lord, I don't know how to preach. I've never learned the art of preaching. And I said, Lord, I'm not real smart. But I said, if you give me favor, and if you touch me, you can give me something worth hearing, and you can use me. And I said, Lord, everything that I've ever thought about myself and said against myself in the way of a curse, I break it right now in the name of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus, and I ask you, Lord, would you send a fresh anointing on me? And I would anoint my tongue and gag every week. And I would taste that anointing oil, but when I'd lay down on Saturday night getting ready to come in on Sunday, I'd always sleep that anointing oil going down my throat. And then I would stand in here and I would begin to speak to the atmosphere of the building. And I would bless the atmosphere of the building. And here's some of the things I would say. I'd say, atmosphere. I'd say, if you're religious, I break you in the name of Jesus. I said, I speak that an atmosphere so prevail in this place that the glory of God can come and settle three times, at least three times greater than it was in the other building. And I said, Lord, let your glory so settle in this place. I bless it for your glory to so settle in this place that I said, God, you'll do a work that will set tongues wagging around the world. Now, I'm not telling you these things to make you think that I brought the Browns for revival because I didn't. But I'm telling you one thing. I do believe with all my heart that beginning to move into this realm and arena of blessings, I believe it helped set the stage for what God wanted to do. Prayer, prayer banners, yes, that was powerful. That was important. But the blessings was just as important. And so I blessed my family. I blessed, and then I preached on blessings, went home one Sunday afternoon. I ate lunch, went into my den, I mean my office at home, picked up a yellow legal pad, a pencil, and I sat there and wrote out a blessing that I was going to start speaking over Brownsville every week in this church. And I, I never erased a word. It just flowed out of me. It just flowed out of me. I wrote several blessings. And I have spoken them in this church for years. Just recently, I wrote a blessing called the Tithers Blessing that now I speak it every Sunday over the congregation before the tithes and offerings are received. And it is amazing the miracles that have broken forth in this church, financial miracles that have broken forth in this church because of speaking out Tyler's blessing. Now, I said all that to say this. If you want something changed, don't curse it, bless it. If you ever get thrown in the lion's den, don't go in there cursing them lions, they'll eat you up. If you ever get thrown in the lion's den, go in there and bless every lion in the house. Lion, come here, Leo. I bless you in the name of Jesus. You ain't hungry. 
You ain't hungry. You so full you couldn't eat another mouthful. I bless you in the name of the Lord. Now lay down over there and be blessed with peace. Shalom to you, son. Are you listening to me? If you, <laughs> if you walk in that lion's den and say, oh my God, how did he let me wind up in here? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God, I just don't understand. Everything goes so wrong. He's going to eat you alive. Listen, if you want something changed, stop cursing it and start blessing it. If you got a house that won't sell, go through there and bless it. Anoint it and bless it. If you got a car, if you got a husband, if you hadn't got a husband, Get the church directory. Whoa. Man, lights went on then, didn't they? Look in the book of First Peter, chapter 3. First Peter chapter three, verse eight. You might say, Brother Kilpatrick, what has this got to do with anything in regard to revival? Everything, everything. Now listen to me just for a moment. I preached a message last Sunday in here out of the book of Numbers and I was talking about murmuring and criticism and being negative. Not because the church needed it or not because I've heard anything, but the first of the year, the Lord began to speak to my heart and he said, what I'm going to do, he said, just as you have spoken that blessing over the church, the tither's blessing, and miracles have broke out and testimonies have erupted from you speaking that tither's blessing, he said, I'm taking you somewhere new. And he said, just as that has happened, he said, the congregation will follow you. And he said, I want to move you into another dimension of blessings. And then the Lord began to speak to my heart and he said, I want you to ask the people, don't tell them to raise their hand or make a vow or even a covenant or a commitment. Tell them not to do it right now. But tell them to start thinking about this question. And here's the question I asked Brownsville. I said, this year in 2002, if you were asked to make a commitment and to make a resolution, that's a, that's a weak word, resolution, much different from a vow, but could you bring yourself to make a resolution that by the grace of God this year, you won't let a negative word come out of your mouth or a critical word come out of your mouth? I said, could you do that? And the congregation groaned. And the reason why we groaned is because all of us understands our flesh and our old man, and we all understand how hard it is sometimes. Sometimes we're spiritual, a lot of the times we're carnal. And sometimes we're close to God, and sometimes we're not close to God. And when we're not close to God, it's just automatic that the tongue goes into gear 
and begins to speak all kind of stuff. Can you imagine some of the things down through the years that has been spoken over you? I'm not talking about confession, friend. Now listen to me. I'm in a different realm here. I'm not talking about confession. I believe in the power of confession, but I don't believe in it to the extreme that many people preach it. And many books are written about it. I don't believe in it to that extreme, but I do believe in it. But I'm not talking about the power of confession now. I'm talking about blessings and curses. Can you imagine, just think back sometime, sometime you even dream about it. Many times, things that people have said about you and upon you, spoken upon you, still rises up to this day like an invisible hand out of murky waters and grabs hold of you and you still feel the power of those words that were spoken over you by an authority figure. Be it a father, a mentor, a coach, a teacher, a principal, a pastor, a youth pastor, a dear friend that you loved and was loyal to. Even to this day, it's like a murky hand, a hand coming up out of murky water and grabs you. And it seems like you go so far and that thing grabs you and affects you to this day. And it's like you can't get past the influence of those words. And that's called a curse. Now, a curse is much different than cussing. Cussing is profanity. Cursing, if you boil it down, cursing means speaking that upon yourself or upon your life or upon your situation, upon your family or someone else, what you don't want to see come to pass. That's a curse. Now, a blessing is speaking what you do want to see come to pass. I used to think, Whenever I was much younger, I used to think whenever the old patriarchs and the old prophets of the Bible used to, prophet, uh, used to uh, bless their children like Jacob blessing all of his 12 sons in the book of Genesis, I used to think he's prophesying. And I thought, my Lord, what a poetic prophecy. But I've come to understand as I've gotten older and understand the Bible better and understand the mystery and the power of a blessing better, I have come to understand that Speaking of blessing is not prophesying. It's speaking that which you desire to see come to pass in the way of posterity. A curse. Why do people curse? I'll tell you two reasons. One is fear and the other is control. When a child is doing something and you feel like you're losing control of him, You'll say things to him to shock him, to try to pull him back in line to intimidate him or intimidate her, and that's not the way to do it, but you're actually cursing him. You listening to me? You're trying to pull him back in line, so you're trying to control him, and the way you're trying to control him is by saying some really drastic things over him. Now, in the book of Peter... I want to show you something that's really, to me, it's profound. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. The Bible says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, have compassion one of another, love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, don't render evil for evil, or railing for railing. Contrawise, blessing, knowing 
that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. Now, everybody look this way. This is clockwise. Let me turn around so you can see. This is clockwise. That's the way the clock goes, around like this. Counterclockwise is this way. See? The Bible says, don't render evil for evil, which is so easy. And don't render accusation and manipulation and control, which is so easy. Don't speak out of fear, which is so easy. Don't speak out of just carnality, which is so easy. But the Bible says, but contrawise, go against the grain. It says, speak blessings. It says, because you are thereunto called to bless. Now, the Apostle Peter here is writing, and he's saying, don't render evil for evil. When somebody blasts you, don't blast them back. And it says, when they rail against you, don't rail against them. You know, I used to think a long time ago, that we could ask God to bless our enemies and we could go to God in prayer and bless our enemies and the Lord take care of things. But the Lord never said to ask him to bless your enemies because God can't bless sin. He says, you bless your enemies. Don't ask me to do it. You do it. You bless your enemies. If somebody does you wrong, if something goes haywire, something goes drastic, terrible, don't get up and rail about it. Don't call your husband. Don't call your family. Don't call your in-laws. Don't call other church members and get on the phone and rail evil for evil and railing for railing. It says contrawise blessing. It says because you are thereunto called to bless. Now, let me go back to this business for a minute about... about um, I used to think that blessing was prophesying. I've read the blessings of Jacob when Jacob would bless his boys. And he said, you'll be a fruitful bough hanging over a wall and all that stuff. And it's just great. But you know what? That was not coming out of his spirit in a way of prophecy. It was coming out of his heart because that daddy in a paternal way understood his child and like anybody else and that old patriarch was connected to God and that patriarch began to bless that child because he understood that child. He blessed Judah different than he blessed Manasseh. He blessed Ephraim different than he blessed others because that paternal instinct in that father had an insight into those kids that nobody else had and he blessed in regard to what he saw and what he wanted to see happen in the lives of his boys. And he blessed all 12 of them. Now you might say, Brother Kilpatrick, how do you bless? I'm so glad you asked me that question. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to show you something powerful. Hebrews chapter 11. Watch this. How do you bless somebody? Let the Bible do its own preaching. Let it do its own speaking. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. It says what? 
By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. You see that? Everybody take just a minute with me now, and let's look at this carefully. Let's don't go past this too quick. Look at it with me. Hebrews 11 and verse 20. The Bible says, by faith. How do you bless somebody? By faith. You don't do it by evidence. You do it by faith. Look at what it says. It's powerful. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning what? Concerning things in their life to come. Look at what it says in verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning upon the top of his staff. How did he do it? By faith. It says by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. He did it by faith. If you've got a child that is a hellion, what that child needs is for you to administer discipline where discipline is necessary and to be firm and disciplined where it needs to be. But what that child also needs is for you to pull that child in and begin to, by faith, start blessing him concerning things to come. And say, son, you are stubborn and you are hard-headed. And God's going to bless that in you, son. God's going to use that in you. He's going to make you a strong leader. And I bless you to just do well in the land. That type A personality is going to be so anointed. God's going to make you like a Moses with a bunch of hard-headed Jewish people. And son, I bless you. You get on my nerves sometime, but I bless you because you're different and you're really going to excel and do great in life. Amen? You listening to me? Now, let me show you something here. Now, I used to think, as I said, that they were prophesying. And you know, sometimes we, especially in Pentecost, when we get taken up in the things of God, we get real wordy. How many of you knows there's a church here right before revival broke out at Brownsville, they came up with the 17-minute service. In Brownsville, I mean, in Pensacola, there was a church here that came up with a 17-minute service and advertised it in the paper. I can't even get my handkerchief out of my Bible. And I can't even get my, 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 my divider here lined up and get my glasses fixed and get me a sip of water in 17 minutes, friend. You see, I've already been going a long time tonight, and I ain't making no apologies because it's Friday night. You ain't got nothing else to do. And you know what? I'm going to finish what I started, too. And you're going to like it. You're going to sit there and take it and like it because I bless you to do it. <laughs> Woo! I want to show you something so powerful. You remember, turn to Genesis chapter 24. I'm sorry, I'll find it here in just a minute. Genesis chapter... Yeah, 24. 
And just hold your finger in Genesis chapter 24. I want to show you something powerful. When I saw this in the Bible, it changed my life. What I'm about to show you changed my life. It's awesome. You see, friend, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we have lost something very valuable. From the ending of the canon of Scripture in the New Testament until today in the modern-day church, the modern-day church has lost sight of one of the most powerful things in the Scripture, and that is the mystery of a blessing and the power of a blessing, especially spoken by a male figure in a family. You know, one of the reasons the devil fights fathers so much is so there won't be a father there to bless his boys. You know, one of the reasons of why the devil fights men so much with adultery and pornography and alcohol and drugs and all kinds of stuff like that, deadbeat dads, one of the reasons why the devil fights them so hard is because they won't be there to bless their boys and their daughters. And if dad's not there to bless them, it's like the devil just comes in on the family and just has his way. That's why I'm saying we need to really get a hold of the mystery of the, and the power of a blessing and get back to doing it and doing it regularly. Amen. Devil, I'm here to tell you tonight you're going to have to turn the fathers loose. God said in the book, hallelujah, God said in the book of Malachi, I will return in the last days the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And along with that heart being returned, there's going to come a fresh new emphasis on dads beginning to bless their children. And there's going to come a fresh emphasis of pastors in churches blessing their congregations. You know how I could tear this church up real easy? Getting a bad mood before God, getting a bad mood before my board, getting a bad mood before my family, coming here and just start cursing the people every week. You don't listen. You don't give. You don't attend church. Where, 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 And just get up here every week and have an awful attitude and just really berate the people with a spirit of condemnation. It scattered the sheep like nobody's business. And that's what the devil wants you to do. You know, that's exactly why many kids can't wait to turn 18 to leave home. Because all mom can do is fault find. And all dad can do is find some little something with that boy, some little something with that daughter, and just stay on it. And just write them and write them and write them and write them and write them. And they can't wait to turn 18. You know why? I'm getting out of here. They can't stand to have a meal around the table. They can't even eat a pizza for 15 minutes around the kitchen table and have peace. Why? Because so many curses are in the atmosphere of that house, they can't even get together. If they would begin to repent and humble themselves and begin to start forcing themselves to speak blessings, you'd sit around that table for an hour and a half. And the atmosphere would be warm and cozy. Same thing is true in churches. People watch their watch on Sunday mornings Five minutes till 12. Oh, my God, when's he going to hush? Oh, my God, it's 12 o'clock. Oh, my God, it's 12 after. When's he going to hush? The place is so sterile, you can't stand the singing, you can't stand the preaching, you can't stand nothing. Why? Because so many curses have been released by the mouths of those church people against the pastor and against the board and against the choir and against the worship songs and against the staff. And everybody's mouth just out of control. 
that when people come in on Sunday morning, they can't wait to leave. Why? Because the environment's sterile. What would happen across America if people could grab hold of the mystery and power of a blessing and begin to repent before God and start, instead of cursing their preacher, start blessing him? My, what an anointing he could preach under. My, what a new anointing the choir could sing under. My, what a new anointing where people would want to wait. I remember before revival broke out and I started doing this blessings. You old Brownsville people, you remember this. Listen to me. Before revival broke out in Brownsville, I remember this so distinctly. I was heavy into blessing the congregation. We was doing it on Sunday night. We'd pray around the banners, and then we'd have Holy Communion, and then I'd bless the people. I start speaking of blessing for God to bless them and protect them from acts of violence, theft, accidents, diseases, uh, bless them for peace to be in their home and their marriages, and et cetera, et cetera. And the congregation, just like little sheep, just started, it's like I was stroking them every week, just stroking them. One Sunday, I forgot to dismiss them with a blessing. And I looked up, and I said, God bless you, we'll see you Wednesday night. And they said, I said, we'll see you Wednesday night. They said, I said, what is it? They said, you didn't bless us. And they wouldn't leave till I blessed them. And I would bless the congregation, and the atmosphere kept getting warmer and more unified and sweeter and tender until before revival broke out. You know what would happen here in the church? Linda, you remember this. On Sunday nights, I dismissed the people. This is before revival broke out, about a month or two before revival broke out, and people would say, I'd say, we'll see you next Wednesday night. And they'd say, sing another song. Preach a little more. Oof. How many of you know when a congregation says preach a little more? Ha oh, oh. ha! Ha ha! Whoa! That's like saying, sick them to a bulldog. Amen? Amen? Preach a little more. Sing another song. Let the choir sing another song. And you know what we'd do right before revival broke out? I'd go over and sit down in my chair, Lynn would come back up, the choir would sing some more, we'd worship some more, and the kids would leave the audience and leave their parents and come and gather around me. You remember, Richard? They'd stand around me, hug me, sit in my lap, sit around my chair, and it was like the sanctuary became a big living room after we dismissed. So I wised up there. I got to where I'd come in on Sunday nights, and just to conserve time, I'd say, we're so glad to have you tonight. God bless you for coming. We're going to now dismiss. We'll now dismiss you. God bless you. Thank you for coming. And we got all the religion off right there. And the kids would come up and they'd say, sing another song. Bless us, pastor. And then they'd pray. We'd have Holy Communion. And Sunday nights got to where there was no religion on it, no formality. It was just like a big living room where people would come together and that blessing was working. I could see it working. Now, I want to show you something. Watch this. I'm hurrying. I didn't say I'm through. I said I'm hurrying. But now watch this. When I read this scripture in the Bible, this scripture right here is what turned me on and changed my life. <clears throat> you remember when, he, when Abraham sent out Eleazar, his trusted servant, to find a bride for Isaac? You remember? And Eleazar told the Lord, he said, Now, Lord, 
when I come into this land, he said, uh, I'm going to ask you to conserve time that the handmaid that comes by and offers me something to drink and my animals, something to drink. He said, Lord, I'll know she's the one. So Eliezer was laying up there with his legs crossed, you know, had a long journey, and this girl come walking up by the name of Rebecca, and she said, Sir, can I get you something to drink? He said, Why, thank you, ma'am. And she said, Could I get your animals something to drink? He got up, he said, Ooh, you're the one. She said, What do you mean I'm the one? He said, My master has sent me on a journey to find a bride for his son. You're the one. And he told her the story, and she said, Oh, you got to come home and tell my mom and dad. I mean, you got to come home and tell my family. Didn't mention a dad. All it mentioned was a mother. All it mentioned was a mother and a brother. And so Eleazar went home with her. And he told him the story. He said, I came on assignment by my master to find a bride for his son. And he said, I, this is the fleece I put out before God. And she met the fleece and she's the one. Can she go with me? And here's what the Bible says. It says, the family says, well, let's call the damsel and let's ask her and see what she says. So if you go back into chapter 24, In verse 55, it says, Her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at least ten, and after that she can go. And Eleazar said, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, Well, we'll call the girl, the damsel, and we'll inquire at her mouth. So they called Rebecca and they said unto her, Will you go with this man? And she said, Yes, I'll go. And so look at verse 59. It says, they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And here it is in verse 60. Everybody look this way just for a minute. I'm going to read you 24 words that changed my life. 24 words. Now, don't count them because I've counted them 10 times at least and recounted them. So it's 60 words. Or 24 words. I'm sorry. 24 words. So don't count them. Because if you count them, you're going to miss what this says. I can see somebody, I'm going to prove him wrong. One, two, three, four, five. So just take my word for it. There's 24 words. But here's what it said. It said, before, look, look this way, everybody. Before she mounted up on her camel out in the yard to get up on her camel to ride away with Eliezer to go meet a man she'd never even seen, her brother and her mother got her in the front yard before she mounted up on that camel, and they blessed her. And I want you to see what they said. They blessed Rebecca in verse 60. Look at that word blessed. They blessed Rebecca. Didn't say they prayed for her. Said they blessed her. And they said unto her, Thou art our sister. Be thou the mother of thousands of millions. And let your seed possess the gate of those which hate them. Whew. 24 words. You know what we would have done if we would have been Pentecostals back then? Yay, I say! And we would have written a book, you know. <laughs> 24, 24 words but they stick to this day now let me tell you it says thou art our sister be thou the mother of thousands of millions and let your seed possess the gate of them which hate them do you know who Rebecca was Rebecca was going to become the bride of a man by the name of Isaac Isaac and Rebecca was going to give birth to two twins called Jacob and Esau Jacob was going to get the blessing from his daddy. His name was going to be changed to Israel. 
He was going to have 12 sons, which would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And to this day, Israel is surrounded by Islam. Israel is surrounded by an Arab world. They're in the millions that hate Israel. But to this day, Israel still possesses the gates of those that hate them. Can somebody shout amen? Thou art our sister. Wasn't even my daddy present. The brother spoke it evidently. And the mother. Thou art our sister. Be thou the mother of thousands of millions. And let your seed. She wasn't even married yet. So they were saying she was going to get pregnant. You're not going to be sterile. You're going to get pregnant. They said, let your seed possess the gate of those which hate them. And in 2002, Israel to this day, even last week, intercepted a ship full of arms from the Palestinians, evidently. And Israel is still possessing the gate of those which hate them. And it can be traced all the way back to 24 words spoken in the front yard before she mounted up on a camel. Woo! Woo! Somebody help me praise the Lord. Suppose they'd have said, now, Rebecca, we don't know about this. You're liable to go off with him. He's liable to knock you in the head about a quarter of a mile down the road. You know what I'm saying? Just put fear all over. Try to control her. No, you need to stay here with us. No. They spoke a blessing. And when I saw those 24 words, I counted them and recounted them and recounted them. I said, 24 words. My God, 24 words has stuck through thousands of years. And I said, if that 24 words was powerful enough to stick down through these years, how powerful is our words? How powerful is our words that we speak in the way of a curse or a blessing? You following me? Now, stay with me for just another minute and I'm closing. Turn to, turn to Ruth chapter 4. I want to show you something else that happened here at Brownsville. Watch this. Something else happened here at Brownsville. I need some more of this. Charlie, thank you, buddy. After I spoke blessings over the choir... After I spoke blessings over the congregation, over the sections of pews, blessings over myself with olive oil on my tongue, blessings over my family, blessings over the congregation, and I wrote the blessing out one day without stopping. God was really building that in my spirit. I came across Ruth. And when I saw Ruth, what happened in the book of Ruth, it changed the way I did weddings forever. Brother Sonny, 
Stand up back there. You and Ann, when your daughter was married, Andre, here in the church, you spoke a blessing over your daughter right here at this altar. <coughs> Many of you others throughout the church here have done the same thing. Sonny and Ann, some of our old Brownsville people, has been here with for me for years. And so whenever I saw this in the book of Ruth, it changed my life. And the Lord said, I don't want another wedding to happen in Brownsville without the father speaking a blessing over his daughter, the father of the groom speaking a blessing over his son. If there is no father, let the stepfather do it. If there's no stepfather, let the uncle do it. If there's no uncle, let the brother do it. And if there's no brother, you do it. You speak the blessing as a pastor, but don't let another wedding happen in this church without letting the groom and the bride be blessed by an authority figure. Because back in our time, so many people couldn't get the blessings of their dad and mom over the one they chose to marry, and they would elope. And to this day, many people never got the blessings of their dad or their mom for the man they chose or for the woman they chose, and they have hobbled through the rest of their marriage because of that. You need to listen to me. Now watch this. So... I read this concerning Ruth and Boaz. You remember, Ruth followed Naomi, and Boaz was a kinsman redeemer. You remember? And so Boaz said to Ruth, I want you. I want you to be my wife. And so he was a well-respected man in the gates of the city. And not only was he a kinsman redeemer, but everybody in Bethlehem loved him. And so when he found Ruth, he fell head over heels in love with her, and he wanted to marry her, and so the people loved Boaz so much, they came to the wedding, and then at his wedding, they blessed Boaz and Ruth. When I saw this scripture, this is what changed me forever in regard to weddings at Brownsville when I saw this scripture. There has not been another wedding, to my knowledge, that I have done for sure, and I spread the word throughout all my staff pastors and throughout all the authority in the church here at Brownsville, anybody that does weddings, everybody that comes down that aisle is to be blessed by a father, an uncle, a brother, a mother, or either a pastor. Is that understood? And from that day to this one, it's happened. I don't know of a one that's escaped out of here without it. And here's what it said. Ruth chapter 4. It says in verse 11, And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. And then they blessed Ruth and Boaz. And they said, The Lord make the woman that is coming to your house like Rachel and like Leah which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrata, and be famous in Bethlehem, and let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. Now that's 63 words. That blessing is a 63-word blessing, and it was spoken by the people when Boaz took Ruth to be his wife. 63 words. Now what did it say? One of the things it said is, be famous in Bethlehem. Isn't it interesting, when Boaz married Ruth, she was the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. Where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. What did they say when they blessed them? They said, be famous in Bethlehem. You never know what comes out of your mouth whenever you start blessing. Conversely, you never know what comes out of your mouth whenever you get really worked up and start speaking a curse either. I want to ask one question and I'm going to move on. I want to ask one question. Why in the name of God 
Would you speak a curse over your pastor when you want your pastor to love you, feed you, be anointed, and help the church? Why? Why in the name of God would you say anything different? I got another question. Why in the name of God would the man that you chose to be your husband in good faith and put a ring on his finger, put a ring on her finger as your wife, why in the name of God would you say anything different about your wife or your husband than loving her and dreaming with her and blessing her to become all that you desire your marriage to be? Why would you say anything different? Why? Why would a home have sterile environment where kids are just can't wait to get out? Why would a, a church and a congregation be so sterile that everybody hated to come to church and they just kept watching their watch. They hate the singing. They hate everybody. They hate the preaching. But they just come out of religious duty and they just can't wait to get out. Why would you want to live your life like that? Not me, friend. Not me. And I'm willing to bite the bullet and to go against the tide and speak blessings even when I want to speak curses. Can you say Amen. I've seen some funny stuff. Now, in the weddings, I would say to the daughter, whenever I'd counsel her, and I'd say, are you going to have your wedding? It's going to be when? October the 24th. Okay. Now, you know your daddy's got to speak a blessing over you, don't you? Oh, Brother Kilpatrick, he'll faint. My daddy is so nervous, he's even nervous about putting on a tuxedo. Pastor, my daddy is so backward, he's nervous about saying her mother and I. If he has to say a blessing, Pastor, he'll have a, a panic attack. I said, well, we'll help him with it. She said, are you serious? My daddy's got to say it. I said, yep. So most of the couple who marry are Christians and their parents are Christians, but a lot of them are not. I still make the old heathens bless their daughters anyway. I do, brother. Make them bless them. Just come right down here and bless them. And so I give them three options. I say you can just lift her veil, put your hand over her face and speak the blessing over right out of your heart on the behalf of you and your wife. And if you can't do that out of your heart, I'm going to let you read it. I'm going to let you write it down and you'll have to read it. You'll have to pick up a microphone and you'll have to read it. Now, if you can't do that, you'll have to record it on a CD player riding down a country road somewhere and you pick up truck. <clears throat> But you're going to record it, and we'll play it on the sound system, and you're going to lift her veil, put your hand over her face, and we'll play that blessing, but you're going to bless her one way or the other, or there won't be a wedding in this church. I have seen daddies come up here, and you know, it's so wonderful. <laughs> the bride comes down the aisle. She's so prissy and beautiful, you know, and Bubba's right beside her. <clears throat> Bubba's a big old redneck when he walks down the aisles. You know. And they come down the aisle, you know, to get married. So the Christian dad comes out and he lays his hand on her and he says, Sweetheart, you have been such a pleasure to raise, and your mom and I are so proud of you today. We now bless your baby to be released to become the bride. A bubba. And we warmly receive him into our hearts. You know, 
And may God bless you to be the queen of your home. May your body be blessed so it will be fertile in God's time. You'll be able to bear children, our grandchildren. May they be whole and happy. We bless you for your home to be peaceful. And, you know, just it's just wonderful. And the daddy just blesses out of his heart. You know, very few of them ever read it. And then Bubba's standing there, and his daddy has never known God, never been in church. He looks so out of place in a tuxedo. His hands is chapped in big old hams of hands. And I say, now, ladies and gentlemen, the father of the groom is going to bless his son. Better hear what I say, boy. Tell you right now, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to hold down a job. What you going to do, boy? Tell you what you going to do. You're going to make good money. You're going to have a salary for them youngins. You're going to pay your bills on time. I'm not going to raise your kids for you. You're going to make money. I ain't going to support you. You're going to do good in life. You hear what I say? Whether you like it or not, you're going to do good. That's my blessing. You know what? We're laughing. But you look at Bubba. Bubba's standing there crying. Because it's the first positive words his daddy's ever spoken over him. I'm going to close with this story, I promise you. One last story. When I got through, this is one last story, I promise you. Don't laugh, friend. Don't laugh. I will go on if you continue to laugh at me. See? 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 I'll tell you one more sweet story. When I got through preaching on blessings in Brownsville years ago, Mystery and Power of a Blessing, there was a guy in our church. I seen him here for about a year or two. And he was really a, a nice young man. Didn't know his name. He was here in the youth group. And he never really kept his hair combed much. His shirt tail was always sort of hanging out. You know, sort of, he had a slouchy look about him. He never really had any friends that I could see. He was pretty well a loner. So after I preached this in Brownsville, and I began to speak the blessing over the crowd, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and it really made a difference in the church. And this young man came up to me one Sunday night for service, and he said, can I tell you a quick story, Pastor? I said, hey, man, nice to meet you. I said, yeah, tell me a story. He said, well, I, I've always been intimidated before to meet authority figures like yourself. He said, I could never talk to you before. But he said, man, I, I want to just tell you the story. He said, Pastor, I have heard your series on mystery and power of a blessing. And he said, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. He said, it saved my life. And he said, I was raised by the hair of the head. I was raised real hard. He said, there was never any love in our home. My daddy was a rough, rough man. He said, Brother Kilpatrick, he said, after I heard you preach, on the mystery and power of a blessing, he said, I really began to realize I was missing something in my life. And he said, I drove home 
my old beat-up car, I drove all the way back to Ohio and went back to the old neighborhood where my dad still is. He didn't mention his mother. He said, where my daddy still lives and the house I was raised in. And he said, I drove up in front of the house. And he said, when I knocked on the door, he said, my daddy came to the door and hadn't seen me in years. And he said, what do you want? He said, well, daddy, um, I come home to ask you for something. That's what I thought. I told you when you was growing up, you was a deadbeat. I told you, you'd never amount to nothing. I told you when you was growing up, you'd always be a nobody. And look, just what I said's come to pass. You've come back on your hands and knees, wanting me to help you. You need something, huh? That's just what I told you would happen. He said, Daddy, he said, it's not like you think. Well, if it's not like I think, what is it? He said, Daddy, I'm living in Florida, and I've been going to this church down there. And he said, I, my pastor's been preaching on the mystery and power of a blessing. And he said, it has so helped me, Dad. And he said, I really realized something. He said, I really realized that I've been hobbling through life handicapped. And he said, I have really come to realize I need your blessings in my life. And his daddy's just an old heathen. And he said, Daddy, I have driven all the way up here to come back and ask you would, you, would you consider, I don't want your money, don't need your money, and I don't want anything else from you, Daddy, but, you know, he said, uh, I know coming up our life was rough, and I know that you, your nerves was bad, and, you know, things was bad a lot of times, but he said, Daddy, I love you, and I have respect for you, and I have such respect for you, I need your blessing. And I wonder, Daddy, would you just consider just thinking about it. He's still standing on the porch now of his own house. He said, would you consider, just consider speaking a blessing over me? And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I'll go in my old bedroom and I'll pull a chair up and face the wall. You won't even have to look at me. And he said, you just think about it. Take your time. You know, you just walk around and take your time. He said, if you think of something you think would be good to say over me, he said, just come in there and just, just lay your hand on me and, and just lay it on my head or on my shoulder somewhere and just say it over me if you feel like you, you know, can think of something good you'd like to say because I really need you, Daddy. And he, said, His daddy's, and he said, Daddy, can I come in? He said, well, come on. He said he walked in the house and he said he went right back to his bedroom and pulled a chair up and faced the wall. And he said he heard his daddy begin to pace. And he said he paced and paced and paced and paced and paced. He said, Pastor, I thought he would never come in that room. He said, I sat there and I watched the shadows on the wall. I hummed to myself. I quoted scripture. He said, I thought he'd never come in there. He said, finally, after a long period of time, I don't know how long, he said, I heard him when he walked back across the hall. He said, I heard his feet turn in the bedroom. And he said, he gently, slowly walked up to my backside. And he said, I thought he would never part his lips to say a word to me. And he said, he walked up so close behind me, I could hear him breathe. And he said, the first thing I felt from my daddy 
was not his hand on my head or my back. He said, I felt water dripping down my collar. And he said, when I felt that water going down my collar, he said, the fountains of the great deep of my emotions just broke. But I didn't want to spook him. He said, I began to sob. And he said, the water just kept dripping down my collar. I could hear it splattering on the cloth of my shirt. And he said, finally, he lifted his hand and put it on the back of my shoulder like this right here. And he said, that was the first time I'd ever felt my daddy's tender hand on my body in my life. And he said, after he put his hand on my shoulder, it's like he had to get acclimated to even that. And he said, I thought his lips would never part. He said, but it was so quiet in that room. He said, when his lips parted to speak, I heard his lips part. It was so quiet. And he said, the first words out of his mouth was this. I am so sorry, son. And he said, after he said that, I am so sorry. He said, more drip, drip, drip. And he said, finally, I heard his lips part again. And he said, son, all I have ever done is curse you. He said, but today, I ask you to forgive me. And he said, I want to give you my blessing. And he said, son, I bless you. And he said, pastor, when my daddy said, son, I bless you, he said, so help me, the Holy Ghost hit me. He said the Holy Ghost hit him, and he said the anointing came on him, and he said you would have thought he was a Pentecostal preacher. <laughs> he said he started just blessing me. Son, I bless you. I bless you to do good in life. And he said he just started crying out loud, and he said he raised his voice, and he said he blessed me. And he said, Pastor, when he started blessing me, he said it was like a hand went down and massaged my insides. Every word he said just went in and just massaged my insides. And he said when it was over, he said I felt like somebody wrapped a warm blanket around me and just cuddled me. He said I stood up and hugged my daddy and he hugged me. And he told me again to my face, I love you. And he said, Pastor, from the day I left his house, he said I've lost weight. I said, I thought you'd drop some weight, boy. He said, I got me a girlfriend. I said, I saw that too. <laughs> and I said, you got that hair comb, boy, and you got that shirt tail in, you're looking good, all right. He said, for the first time I've got confidence, Pastor. He said, now I'm talking to people. He said, I don't feel intimidated anymore. He said, I feel outgoing. He said, I feel like I'm a new man. Why? Because a daddy that had done nothing but ever speak curses over him. The boy took a risk and went home and said, Daddy, would you please speak a blessing over me? I wish that everybody in this church could have a happy ending like that. I don't have a happy ending to my life. My father left me when I was 12. I've been pastor in Brownsville for 20 years. In 1985, my father took cancer. He married two more times after he left my mother. He was married seven times. I'm his only child out of seven marriages. 
I didn't know about the mystery and power of a blessing back then. And when he took sick in 85 in January, from January through March, he died March the 31st. And I went up to see him about the second week of March. And when I got to the place where he was, a little house, he was so blue, he was almost unconscious. And I called an ambulance. And I had him taken to the hospital in Dalton, Georgia. And when they got him in the hospital, they resuscitated him, put oxygen on him and all, and resuscitated him. And we was in the emergency room, and I was walking outside really concerned about him, you know. And I remember walking by, and I saw him lean up with the oxygen mask on and leaned up on his elbow, and he said, Who brought me here? And I stuck my head in, and I said, Daddy, I did. I said, I... I came to visit you, and I said, you was blue and almost unconscious, and I said, you was almost dying. I said, I brought you here to get, them, get you some help. He said, don't you ever bring me into a place like this again. He said, let me tell you what you do. And he started cursing me. You get your blankety-blank self back down to Florida, and don't you ever come see me again. And he lit into me, and it broke my heart, man.